Hey, hey, back again today. I am so pumped for you guys to listen to this podcast with Stephanie Gordon. Stephanie and I had a really great time in our conversation together, and it was our first conversation. I'd never talked to her before, which is really a first on the show. Um, Usually I talk to people ahead of time, but I wanted to find somebody to chat with that I had known very lightly, but have never had a conversation with. And Stephanie was awesome. Learned so much about parenting, fitness, and wellness, New York City, and everything in between. I think you guys are going to really like it. Stephanie is currently a regional lead instructor for Club Pilates, in addition to working as a freelance content writer where she focuses on fitness and wellness. She is Stop Pilates certified, completed a mentorship in prenatal Pilates and Pilates for athletes at the Kane School, and is certified in diastasis recti recovery and pre-postnatal Pilates with the Center for Women's Fitness. Stephanie also has a certified personal trainer certification and corrective exercise specialist certifications through NASM. She earned an MA in education from NYU and a BA in English from the University of Delaware where she ran Division I cross country. Everyone, I'm pumped to present to you Stephanie Gordon. Okay, we are on here with Stephanie Gordon, and Stephanie, I am really pumped that you're on the show today and that we get a chance to learn a little bit more about you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for asking me to be a guest. Yes, and for my listeners, uh, Stephanie and I really don't know each other, which is pretty much (laughs) like most of the people I have on. I mean, I've talked to a few people ahead of time here and there, but I just like learning about people. And I was looking at Stephanie's background. I said, I would like to learn more. So that's where we're at. All right. That's where we're at. And we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> of course. it's. I'm telling you, everybody who's done it, they're like, oh, is this actually a lot of fun? We went to places I did not expect we were going to go. Yes. I, um, I have no roadmap here. So I'm totally in the passenger seat waiting to see what happens. We're just driving here. That's what <laughs> we're, we're going to do. Drive. We're cruising. <laughs> so you are in the, uh, well, let's say New York City area. That's kind of a broad term, right? Yes. Yes. So currently living in the suburbs, but um, four days after I graduated college in 2008, I moved to New York City um, and stayed there for eight years. Then um, my husband's job moved us to Atlanta and then Weehawken, and now he's back in New York, so we live right outside the city. So tell me about, um, I think a lot of people have this kind of idea about New York City, and they think about Central Park, and kind of this, you know, Broadway, and all this stuff. Yeah. What, what, what has been your experience with it? Oh, the highest of the highs, and the lowest of the lows. <laughs> I think that is pretty typical of anyone that has lived in the city for a while. <laughs> I moved, as I said, right after graduation. Uh, I'm from Delaware. I went to school in Delaware. So moving to New York City was, I was such a fish out of water, Darian. I was the person trying to buy a subway card and having to ask for help because I just didn't (laughs) understand how public transportation worked. I mean, I was green. Right. Right. And Um, so was it daunting for you a little bit in the beginning? 
So daunting. And you know what I remember? When I moved there was right when Sex and the City, the movie came out. Oh my God. So in my head, I thought somehow it would be like my girlfriends and I, you know, going shopping, eating those <laughs> dinners, like doing the town up. No, no, it was not. I was 22 and had a job as a reporter and was not living a luxurious life by anyone's standards. So which character were you like the most, do you think? Oh, I think I think I wanted to be a Charlotte. I think I was uh, probably more of a Carrie, but not in all the good ways. You know, like <laughs> Carrie in her faults and her charms. Uh, yeah. No <laughs> Samantha, not, not huh? A, yeah, not a <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't, Samantha, if you said Samantha, I'm like, oh, we're going in a whole different direction on this Oh, this one. would be a much better podcast <laughs> after Samantha. Absolutely. I used to watch the show uh, when it was on uh, many years ago. I never saw the movie deal, but um, I think that New York City has this kind of allure, this um, this fantastical element that people, you know, feel about it or on the outside. I've been there many times. If my family's from New York. And uh, it's just interesting um, hearing about somebody who's lived there and, and how it, it's different than what you think it is, you know? It is. I mean, it's a grind. Listen, if you're not there on vacation and you're working to pay your rent, I mean, people really work hard. And the expectation at your job is that um, you're there in the city and your job is your life and everything mm. else is a detail. Is <laughs> a detail. It's a okay. detail. That's, that's right. Okay, I've never heard life put that way. Everything else uh -huh. is just a detail. Uh-huh, it's not healthy. No, I'm not advocating for it. Wow, so yeah. you were a reporter, you said. Yes, yes. So I graduated with a degree in journalism, moved to the city. I started working as an editorial assistant for what was Double Down Media. They put out magazines geared toward men living the high life in finance. So that was interesting i went to the parties yeah. and helped out that uh you know penthouse parties at the now Playboy. wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute yep i told you this is yeah. just gonna go where it's gonna go I now you brought up something <laughs> that we have to know about sure uh, finance men in finance explain yes. that um so I was an English major. My background was in journalism while at Delaware and had a few internships and then was applying to literally every internship I could think of for graduation. Now, my problem was that I graduated in 2008 with mm. a degree in journalism, specifically for magazines. So my timing wasn't great. And I found a position for myself working for this publishing house. And you know what? I wasn't going to be picky. Right. And next thing I knew, I packed my bags and moved there and was writing about jets and uh, the top 30 traders under 30 and luxury apartments. And it was, it was different. It was very eye-opening. What was the most eye-opening part about it? Just the money in the city and the people that were part of it and kind of being a spectator to, to this whole world that I knew nothing about. I remember they used to have this event every year. I can't remember the exact name, but essentially traders, men trading in finance and derivatives would train to box each other. And there was this whole <laughs> event of just these 
guys, you know, amateur, not amateurs, <laughs> these men that worked in offices that just trained to just try and beat each other up. <laughs> I can't make this up. You can't make this what up. What the hell are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, that, that's an event. Wait a minute. I, so they were trained to beat each other up. Yeah, and it was just, I think, it uh, raised money for charity. So at least there was oh, some okay. philanthropic okay. element of the whole spectacle. It wasn't like Fight Club or something. No, like... no. <laughs> that would have been interesting. <laughs> okay, that's the first. I haven't heard of uh, that. Oh, um, but it seems like some dudes would do, honestly. I mean, you Yeah. Know. And, you know, I think the atmosphere and the culture around masculinity was... Um, I think we're having a reckoning in the past year or two. I think even 2008, though it's not that long ago, it was very different. I mean, as perhaps as a man, you can comment on this more than I can, but I think just the way we saw gender roles and the way men probably felt they had to live their lives externally, it was a very different culture. So do you think, I will definitely speak upon that. Um, yeah. But do you think that things have changed because of... Um, different, how do I say this? Well, I'm just going to say it, different scandals and things that have come out, uh, Me Too movements, things of that nature, has changed the way men are behaving or acting, or, or, or do you think it's, it's something else related to that? Oh, I, I don't know all the factors. I think Me Too was definitely a massive part of the turn. I think things in general are just changing. I mean, I remember back then, you know, off the top of my head, Victoria's Secret was still a big name brand mm. and something that as a woman you wanted to shop at and aspire to. And now, I mean, if you follow their stock, it's not going well for them. I think just everything has has shifted. Yeah, I, w I would agree with that. I think, mm. you know, for me as a male, uh, I've always been a different type of guy. So I think I, I have not uh, ever really related with, I would say, your stereotypical macho male culture mm -hmm. in a sense um i had talked about this on one of my other podcasts about when i was a collegiate athlete and uh i did not do well with locker room talk and and hanging out with guys who are talking about you know what they did with women and stuff like it just wasn't my thing you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i never identified with this like honestly like wanting to like fight each other box each other <laughs> yeah. like I wouldn't participate in that I'd be like listen I I don't know this seems <laughs> foolish to me I get you're raising money but like can't we do something else like a mini putt putt golf tournament or something like <laughs> that right or, you yes. know, like crochet you know, cro yeah I mean we're gonna you know I don't know like maybe a game of scrabble or something I don't know I'm with like, you Darian right what's this this like we got to prove ourselves like just some weird dance like you know I don't know <laughs> it's just, yeah yeah you know, but I've never been someone who has uh, really followed those guidelines. So, which unfortunately, I think early in my life, teenage years, early adult years, kind of made me an outcast. Um, mm -hmm. Because you know, men are, are are a lot of people are not very involved at that point in their life. You know, they're kind of going, they're conforming with whatever works and what they think you should be as a man, especially. Yeah. yeah. And my mother and father were never um hip to that they were just like be yourself doesn't matter if it, it's going against the tide and uh it may make it tough for you initially but as you get older it's going to be a huge advantage for you yes yes i think when you're younger it's really difficult i think so and uh so i yeah i had to endure some difficult times because of that but uh now i'm like now it's like awesome because you know i'm 41 and it's like 
all right, this makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure as a trainer, the way you interact with people, I think the way you probably grew up and the way you are has now been a big asset. Definitely. But yeah. I do think, you know, things have changed. And uh, you're right, from 2008 to 2019. I mean, 2008 seemed like it was not that long ago to me. It, it was like, like yesterday right? or something. I know, you know? <laughs> I know, but everything's different. Everything's different. And I feel like there's a, uh, well, back then, I mean, there was some social media, but it's like really exploding now. Oh, I know. Are you, now I know you're on LinkedIn. Are you, this is your social network. So yes. what, what else do you do social network wise? This is my social network. This <laughs> is LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I, um, again, kind of my counterculture thing. I, I had all of those other networks, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and all that, Twitter. And I became very disenfranchised with it, probably back in 2014-ish. Okay. Okay. And uh, I just felt like it was like, I'm not one to like do a lot of different things and then think I'm really good at it. You know, I'm <laughs> like, okay, I can't, I can't, I was thinking to myself, I cannot serve all these things well. And there was just so much junk on a lot of the other stuff. Yeah. And I just didn't want to be a part of that. And so, you know, I wanted to swim downstream when everybody was swimming upstream. And I just decided to delete all my accounts with the exception of LinkedIn, which I've been on for 12 years. And I focused all my energy on LinkedIn. And mm. it's been really good for me, I think, that way, because it's more professional. And I found people are more like myself on LinkedIn. So you've seen it pay off, kind of. I've seen it pay off. Focusing that attention on one network, yeah. Yeah, I think that's life, though. I mean, you focus yourself on one or two things that you really love to do or you care about, and I think you become much better at those things than mm -hmm. um, if you're doing like ten things. It's very difficult to be good at ten things. It's just it's so hard to do. Yeah. And it's stressful trying to think of being that active on every network. I don't know how people do it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't get it either. I think some people, you know, they're good about they have these apps and stuff that schedule your posts and all that. It just doesn't feel authentic to me. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I don't want to post just because somebody tells me I have to post this many times a day. I just want to do it when I feel like I want to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the podcast was a very natural outlet for me because I'm talking to people on the phone six to seven times a week just to do it, to connect with them learn about them, what's their story, because I'm just curious. And I was like, this is a way to bring people's stories to life, you know, yeah. so. I love it. I love it. So, so you know, it's been, a, it's been a really good adventure for me, but uh, I think I wanted to touch on, like you said, how things have changed. In your opinion, how do you think things have changed, you know, drastically over some, from 2008 to now? Oh, my God. I think... I think it's a lot better now. I think it's just so different. I think when I graduated and moved to the city and kind of seeing that landscape, I think people's priorities were very different and similar, but it was more about, I'd say right around that time, everyone wanted to be at the big dinners and the big clubs and things were much more gaudy and I, perhaps there's a circle I was working in, but there wasn't that much talk of social causes. And I don't think anyone was woke. I don't even think <laughs> being woke was a thing. Oh boy. It, and I was working in magazines and it was very homogenous. I think people wanted to be diverse. I'm not saying it was 
um, you know, hearkening back to the eighties in any way, but there were not a lot of voices being heard and not a lot of attention being paid to what wasn't the mainstream. Gotcha. You know, this whole woke thing is interesting to me. I, I'm pretty sure I've talked to nobody about this. (laughs) Um, I know I may not, but I hear about it all the time. Like what's your impression of that? Of being woke? Yeah. Oh gosh. I would need to like, the internet will have a much better definition than anything I can offer, but with, without relying on Google, let's see if I can okay. do it myself. Uh, I, I think it's a state of not being completely focused on how you yourself see the world and your reality, but taking other viewpoints into consideration and not... I'd say having a wider lens into how you see the world in different perspectives. And do you feel like, you know, people in your circle or people you observed or you work with that, that is a, like you're seeing that happen? Uh, more, I, I'd say we have a ways to go. I think I'm somewhat biased in my work because of now, and we can get to this later as a, fitness instructor. Uh, mm-hmm. I definitely work with one particular segment of the population. Uh, so I wouldn't say as a one-on-one instructor, there's a ton of diversity in, in mm-hmm. what I do. I'm not saying that's a great thing. I think it's a function of location and economic barriers. Right, right. Yeah. We will definitely get into that because yeah. we might be dealing with a similar thing. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> My impression of this woke thing, actually, it's funny. I was watching TV and I heard somebody say it one time and I was like, what, what is this? And I was like, <laughs> and I kept hearing more. I'm a big sports fan. So I'm listening to these sports talk radio shows and they're like, so-and-so now the woke movement. And I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, I don't understand what this is about. So were you not woke then if you had to be educated on what woke was? I think I've been woke and I don't need an education, (laughs) somebody to tell me about it. I think I've always cared about a lot of things about outside myself and that uh, I've never been one to like be completely self-obsessed about, you know, my own thing. And, and again, another reason why I have this podcast is because I have always had this very innate feeling that I want to help other people. I want them to become successful greater than me. And if I can provide a platform for other people to get their message out and what they're doing, they're passionate about, that seems important to me. And social cause and all that, I've always been very, you know, connected to those things. Maybe not super involved, but I've I've always been pretty well read about things. And I just didn't know there was a term for it. what is this term yeah you know um yeah there's now the language for these ideas absolutely apparently now if you you woke up to if you're awake to (sighs) social causes and ideas and different thoughts you are now woke you have you're crawled out from under the rock you were under and you became wow the world there's a lot of things going on here (laughs) it's so big absolutely i didn't know things existed like this and i mean so it's I think that's interesting. I, I think over the past 10 years for me is uh, the explosion of technology, the rate, the acceleration of technology has been mind blowing to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just going to continue to accelerate. 
and I'm not sure what the outcome is on all of this, <laughs> but no, um, me neither. If I, I if I could see the future, um, I, I'd be much wealthier. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Well, I got to tell you what I've heard some insane, crazy, eh, semi-interesting ideas of where people think we're headed. I like to listen to podcasts quite a bit, and uh, some of them have been, I think, really out there in terms of where we're headed almost kind of like we're the electric caterpillar and we're creating the butterfly through technology mm -hmm. and stuff and i'm like eh, i don't know but there's a lot <laughs> going that. on man we're just yeah. accelerating so hard and i just what's the point of this social media what's the point of what we're doing why are we constantly pushing so hard on this you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. i don't know but it's good to talk to other people about it i think so yeah Absolutely. So tell me about the life of a reporter. I'm fascinated by this. I have never talked to a person who told me they were actually a reporter. Uh, well, um, so after Double Down Media, which is the publishing house I had my internship at, I got a job for um, a, a big publication in finance where I wrote about derivatives. And my first day of work was the day Bear Stearns collapsed. Mm. And I remember walking in thinking, hmm, I wonder if this is going to be a big part <laughs> of my job. <laughs> and it was. So it was, it's a very hectic atmosphere being a reporter. Now, I can't speak for all reporters, but I can say from my experience, um, for a publication that came out weekly, you know, it's different if you were working for something that came out monthly or um, even had a wider time duration than that. But it's it's a pressure cooker. You have a certain amount of stories you have to produce each week. I think a big skill is being able to analyze the landscape and be able to find stories in weeks where it doesn't seem like much is happening. That was something that I really, that was a skill I really had to hone that I did not have going into the job of the new, there has to be news every day, right? You've never yeah. received a newspaper where nothing happened, <laughs> but some days a lot less is happening than other days. And you have to be able to create a story, follow a thread and produce it. And it's not easy. I can't imagine it would be easy. Um, yeah. But I, I, I see how, like, how do you see the news cycle today versus when you were doing it? It's, it's much, when I was a reporter and I was writing, I'd say about seven to nine stories a week. You know, not each, each story wasn't necessarily long, but each was a piece of the news. Um, I'd say today it's even crazier. I've seen some job postings where you file multiple stories a day, all day, wow. all week. And I think the pressure it puts on the news cycle and especially the writers is immense. But that's what people want. You know, they, websites don't get clicks and don't get popular if there aren't stories and traction and lots of movement. What's interesting, I think that parallels, <clears throat> excuse me, with, you know, current state and almost the influencer world of fitness and wellness now where yes. uh, people are having to post constantly to maintain their notoriety or their following. And if they don't post 
constantly then you see this dramatic drop off because people are like, I'm moving on to the next thing. You need to keep me entertained on a regular basis. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's always, that's, that's been my struggle with all of it is like, how do you have social authenticity online and not caving into the pressures of reporting your life on a regular basis to people, you know? Right. And, um, I think maintaining that authenticity, as you just described, but also being consistent with it is very challenging. I think the consistency is a part that a lot of individuals that try to be influencers get caught up and give up after a while. Right. Because that being consistent in your authenticity, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. the consistency is the part that's hard. I agree. Well, yeah. what's your take on influencer culture these days as we're heavy into that right mm, now? Yeah, I don't love it, but you know, <laughs> I'm like you, like I'm only on Twitter and even that I took a break, break from <laughs> after a while. I just, it's so, um, self gratuitous, self gratuitous, I, I mm-hmm. think is how I describe it. it. It just seems so ugly to me. And I think from what I've been reading and hearing that's shifting now from the, the big influencers with the picture perfect posts of, mm-hmm. you know, doing Pilates in front of a mountain, um, <laughs> it's changing to being more of a authentic, again, I use that word lightly because I don't like it, but I don't even know what other language to use for it. Authentic right. micro influencer of trying to be mm. more real uh, less, um, what's the word, less perfect paint strokes and more of a real image of what their lives are. <clears throat> no, that makes sense. I've, uh, I've not heard the term micro influencer. That's new to me. Um, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Um, I, it's just, it's always been a struggle for me, this whole thing, because, uh, I always feel like Actually, most people, I would say 99% of the people that I speak with, maybe it's just people in my circle or I choose to connect with or, you know, end up attracting, they're not out there like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're so busy trying to work, trying to get themselves, you know, pushing, moving forward, hustling and stuff. They're just, they're not spending time on these outlets like constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're just, they're working. <laughs> you know, You're like, working. I know. <laughs> it's. It's a balancing act because I do recognize as someone in the fitness world, how important it is. I just, I just don't enjoy it, but I also know it's, it's a necessity, right? Right. If you're right, I heard something the other day that made a lot of sense to me um, because, you know, now I'm a Pilates instructor, but also doing some writing and someone explained online that it's not that you have to love having a social media presence, but if it comes down to you and another person and you have the exact same skill set, the individual with a social network and a social media presence will win. It will give you the leg up. And I thought that made a lot of sense. That's interesting. <clears throat> I hadn't thought about that. And yeah, there's got to be a way to, to wield it where, you know, I think kind of like, you know, at least for me, I just focus on one thing. Maybe I'm sure I know I'm missing out on other things, but that's, that's been a purposeful thing for me. I'm like, you know what? I can't have everything and I'm going to mm-hmm. focus my attention on <clears throat> at least one outlet that I know is very relevant to my world and relevant to the type of behavior I'm looking toward for. 
right. uh, with that. The population you want to attract. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you make choices in life, right? Everything is it's much like, um, you know, whether you have a child or you don't have a child. You know, you make choices and how those, the outcomes of that. Actually, I was dying laughing reading this article uh, ahead of time. I think you wrote it about, uh, I think, moms um, and like enjoy this time. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. That. And man, I'm <laughs> yeah. not, I'm not, a, I'm a father. And mm-hmm. um, I heavily identified with that article heavily. Oh, I'm so glad. So uh, would you like me to describe it? Would you like to yes, describe it? Yes, please describe listeners? it. Because I think this is a topic that <laughs> I have, I have railed about as a, a, an extremely involved father and a, you know, a two parent household. You know, my wife's amazing. She does great work, but we made the decision with our daughter that, you know, we would both be heavily involved in all of the, the heavy, the heavy lifting. It wasn't just going to be one person. Yeah. And, um, I'm reading the article and I'm like, Ooh, I feel the same way. Yes. Yeah. So, so for our listeners, uh, essentially I wrote this article about an event that happened when my husband and I were both Jewish and we're going to synagogue. Um, and, when we got there and, you know, arriving on time was a feat for us to begin with, with the toddler. Right. Um, my daughter had to use the, or no, my husband took the daughter. I had to use the restroom. So I went to the bathroom and this new, obviously new mom was there with her child who was throwing a tantrum, you -hmm. know, throwing toilet paper everywhere, (laughs) screaming, just racing, you know, as a parent, I'm just watching this and feeling for this parent because what parent hasn't been there, you know, where your, your kid yeah. is just uh, going wild and you're trying to control the situation. You can only do so much. Anyway, this uh, more senior adult was there watching this whole spectacle unfold and started saying to this mom who's probably having the worst 10 minutes of her life, <laughs> you know, um, oh, treasure these moments. They will just go by so quickly. And I was just looking at this thinking, are you kidding? How can you say this to this mother who is so obviously in need of someone to say, I get it. It's really hard. I get it. Not treasure how bad this feels. (laughs) And I went home that day and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And the next day I wrote that story and it's interesting how much it resonated with an audience. Hmm. I what write was the a feedback lot. you got? Yeah, I write a lot. And that story really hit a nerve because I think it's a universal emotion that isn't often articulated of being a parent and how you, of course, treasure some moments, but you don't treasure all the moments. And I don't think that's normal yeah I uh when I was reading your article I started thinking about honestly all the miserable times I had <laughs> my daughter was really <laughs> little and I'm telling you I had a breakdown and I, I'm a I consider myself someone and probably like a lot of parents like before you have your kid you're like I got myself I got my life together hopefully you know I'm feeling good mm-hmm. about this I'm gonna have a kid and it like turns you completely upside down and and you start feeling things you thought you would never feel. And yeah. I know for me, I hit this moment where I sat in, uh, back when we used to live in Las Vegas, I sat in the closet in our house. And I just broke down to my wife and I was like, she's killing me. 
Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't, this is miserable. I do not like this at all. Like at all. I'm not right. having fun. This is garbage. I'm not having fun. I'm not yeah. enjoying today. And I think, yeah. um, I think combining that with social media, as we just spoke about, it presents parenthood as this brilliant, picturesque <laughs> landscape that you just uh, enjoy every second. It's just this, you know, wonderful tapestry that unfolds before you. And in, in reality, it's difficult. Oh. And that doesn't mean you don't love your kid more than right. the entire universe, but those moments are so hard. So, first, yeah. yeah, posting that article and seeing men and women that wrote, yeah, I get it. Um, you know, I've been writing more about parenthood since then because it's so nice to have people come together and really speak what's on their minds. Right, right. You know, it's more interesting. than, yeah, please go continue. No, sorry. I cut you off. Please go ahead. More than, you know, I'll write a fitness article and yeah, that's great. And people <laughs> may have learned something, but you know, I don't hear much from each one of those articles. Yeah. I, it's funny. I have a similar feeling about that, but, uh, I think it's like when you're a parent, it's almost like people lie to you about the experience. They try <laughs> to like, they fluff it up. Like it's just like, this, this, the greatest thing you've ever done in your life. And when you're doing it, it's really not. I mean, it's just like, it's exciting on, you get these glimmers when mm. they're little, little of like, oh, this, this could be amazing. And yeah. then the next moment they're like throwing food and they're yelling <laughs> and you're like, mm-hmm. I live with a drunk person. Like, this is like a drunk roommate. My roommate is really giving me some trouble right now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And now my daughter's almost eight and it's like wonderful. Like it's a great age. And we're having, we're talk, talking to each other. I'm like, oh, this is what they were saying. This is the good stuff. But yeah. you know, and I wanted to throw her out a window at one point. <laughs> I was like, this, this chick's killing me. It's, <laughs> like, hard. it's hard. And I, I do think we are seeing more transparency about parenthood online, which I think is, is wonderful, especially, um, you know, I think it's important for fathers to have a voice in, parenthood and and how that goes on but especially for women who I think for so long have been expected to kind of be these um stoic soldiers of motherhood (laughs) where it's sort of a type of martyrdom you know um where you you suffer and you give and that's looked at with a kind of respect and, and yes, motherhood is a lot of self-sacrifice. I don't think that will ever change, but I do think now there's more information and more of a view that it's okay to take care of yourself as a mom. It's right. It's really okay. It's, you don't have to like pour every ounce of your being into your child. Like you need time to yourself. You need to actually have a sane weekend or something here and there, you know, or it's even like a pocket of time. You just, know? Yeah. Take a shower, feel take relaxed. Take a shower, read a book. Know? Right. To get back to remember who you actually are as a person for a second there. <laughs> you know. You know, and yeah, it's important for fathers too. You know, agree. Parents in general, and that's not something to be ashamed of. If you want to work, great. And if you want to yeah. stay home, great. But just take care of yourself. But let's not wear rose colored glasses here and act like <laughs> like oh like amazing every second of the yeah. day. I mean, you know, changing diapers was not fun. I don't care if you want to treasure that moment. I uh, no. 
I, I, I won't be treasuring that moment. There are many moments I'll remember, but that hopefully is not one of them. Right. So that lady saying that, although maybe she had good intentions, it's just you got to be aware of when people are struggling, they need a lifeline. They don't need you to tell them that stuff. You know, right? They don't need to hear. Hearing that she should have treasured that moment probably made her feel terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Because who would treasure that moment? Who, no one would. No one should treasure that moment. You, but you get through with it to really savor the wonderful times. And, and they are there. They, yes. They, they are there. It's just you, sometimes you have to look for them a little. That's true. But it's, it's, it's just good that there's two sides to it. And people are more like, hey, this is difficult. And really think about it. Don't have it presented to you in this beautiful box like just going to be amazing and we're going to have these great times. We're going to play outside all day and we're going to make things together. I'm like, no, you're going to be cleaning up that room. You're going to be trying to convince them to do, you know, brush your teeth and <laughs> go to bed. Please yeah. stay in bed. You know? Stay in bed. Yes. Please. Oh. I'll do anything if you stay in bed. <laughs> but I think it's, it's great you're talking about this. I think a lot of people online and in the podcast world talk and kind of pretend like they don't have kids and how they present themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Like, <laughs> you, like, I don't have kids. What kids? But then you go home and you're a full-on parent. I think it's great that you are acknowledging that part of your life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful part of my life, but it's also challenging. But it's also one that has improved every year that she's gotten older and every year that I have continued to do it and I get better at it. It's like anything. You you keep doing it. You hopefully get better. You learn the skills. You understand this person because you're, you're learning about somebody that you know nothing about. And, and then for the first, you know, you know, several years of it, you're not talking to them and they're not talking back to you and you're not having this great intellectual stimulating conversation. No, you're like growing into that with them. And it's frustrating. (laughs) <laughs> it's frustrating. It is. It is. And <laughs> and just when you think you have things down, they change. So right. it's constantly back at square one of you learning. Yeah. Imagine if you had friends like that, like constantly became different people all the time. And you're like, what? Steve, I thought we were good. And I no, thought no. we had a good thing going. Right. Uh, uh, change today, man. I'm different <laughs> now. You know, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> right. So thank you for writing that article. It was oh, wonderful. It was my pleasure. I, you know, I love writing and it's the arena where I'm most comfortable. So it was wonderful to have that be one of my first articles coming back and to have it have a good response. So what is the current state of your writing? Like where, how do you feel about it currently? Yeah. So what happened was after I was working as a reporter for a while, I really needed a change. I was very stressed out. I wasn't passionate about finance. Uh, it was, you know, it was not a calling. It was not a way in which I felt like I was contributing in a meaningful way, not necessarily to give back to the world, but even to myself. I didn't feel like I was utilizing my skills. And that's not a good feeling. If you're in a position where you feel like you're not relying on your strengths, it it's you're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? So I left that role um, and became a Pilates instructor and was teaching. um, And I've been an instructor for about 10 years now. And very recently, I realized that there had to be a way to meld these two worlds in which I 
um, felt passionate and felt like I was um, using myself in a way that I could entertain and educate. So right now I do content writing specifically in wellness and fitness where I freelance for different outlets, but also have clients where I write their blog posts. I um, help present businesses with a human touch, not just as these cogs in a conglomerate. Right. Oh, that's awesome. You got to combine both things that you enjoy doing. So yeah. what, uh, what got you into Pilates? Well, tell me kind of your entry into that. Right. So for uh, during undergrad, I ran cross country and track and um, loved, loved running, but was riddled with injuries from my entire collegiate career. I mean, it came from high school where I was running very well and was healthy to just one thing after the other. Uh, when I moved to the city, I kept trying to keep up with my mileage, but running on pavement in Manhattan, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. wasn't doing myself any favors. Right. At one point, I was misdiagnosed with a foot fracture, and the only exercise I could do at the time to not put pressure on my forefoot was Pilates, and I fell in love. So that wow. misdiagnosis was a gift in disguise. Did not realize at the time, um, getting down subway stairs with a boot on my foot but it brought me to Pilates. Awesome. And 10 years later, you're still doing it. 10 years later, I'm still doing it. That's right. Yeah. What do you enjoy about it the most? I really enjoy helping people and having them slow down their movements and realize there's power from stability and from focus and from engagement. And I think... A lot of people, and I myself include myself in this population, just try and move and muscle their way through every movement. Mm -hmm. And when you slow down and you add breath and focus and intention, you feel so much better. You feel so much better. And that carries you through your day and how you present yourself in public. And it's really not just an hour of exercise, it's changing your life. And I really do believe in that. You know, I've taught other modalities before where I wasn't passionate, but I really do believe that Pilates changes lives. That's awesome. You know, I I have, uh, I mean, a pretty long history of Pilates in terms of not actually doing it, although I've done it many times, um, just with hiring lots of Pilates instructors. And when I used to run a club in Las Vegas, and uh, it was just such a popular um, service that we offered. And uh, I feel like it's it's become very popular. Um, and I, I've seen it grown tremendously in the past 10 years, at least in my experience. Uh, with oh, it. yeah, it's exploding. It's continuing to explode. And, you know, with big franchises, um, opening Pilates studios across the nation, it's a chance for more people to experience Pilates. Whereas before, Pilates was developed to be one-on-one, which is very limiting to mm-hmm. um, getting large amounts of people to try it. And now I think it's much more accessible, which is really exciting. So where do you see things currently in terms of fitness culture and wellness culture? What's your take on that currently? Yeah, I, I think we are seeing a move from, I think the boutique studios had a big moment i'm not saying it's the end of them but i do (laughs) think we are seeing a movement 
into larger chains taking the boutique fitness elements and adopting them for more of a um, nationwide expansion. Um, so for example, instead of the Pilates studio that is a standalone or maybe has two locations with um, you know, six reformers for a group class, we're seeing big chains that can accommodate 12 people at a time, class after class throughout the day. So I do think that will spell trouble for some of these smaller studios that may have been able to charge $40 per class and sell out. I, I think that's starting to change. I'm seeing the shift myself in work. Oh, interesting. You know, yeah. I that's an interesting point of view. I think it's something I share that uh, I remember when kind of the boutique craze was going on. It was just everybody's opening up a boutique studio of whatever service, whether it's just spin, Pilates, yoga. And then I think it kind of caught the large commercial chains. They're like, okay, wait a minute. How do we leverage this, uh, this trend? And yeah. then I think it's happening, just like you said, they're bringing them into like, whether it's your equinoxes and things like that, they're saying, listen, we know how to do this. We can all, we have more resources. Um, we have a bigger population to draw from. And then now they're even taking it where, you know, Equinox has its own hotel and Lifetime is building its own residences. Yeah. For, they're like saying, hey, okay, you want lifestyle? You want this convenience? We're, we have the resources to actually do that on a large scale for people. Right, right. And another thing they're doing is you're seeing a, an opening of fitness centers and shopping malls, all these vacancies mm -hmm. in shopping malls across America. Well, there's big spaces for rents that right. probably aren't too crazy. So um, you're seeing studios open there next to each other in some cases, mm. which is always interesting. Um, but they kind of like that because if a few um, high luxury um, high expense studios open near each other that will attract a crowd that will think, Oh, well maybe after my spin, I should try cryotherapy. And mm -hmm. look after that, I can get another service. You know, what reminds me of kind of, it, maybe this is way off, but it kind of reminds me of food stalls and mm -hmm. like a place where you're like, you go to, you know, Hong Kong or something like that, or you go to a place and there's just like food stall after food stall after food stall and they serve different different or similar things. And I feel like you put all that in like a, a mall, it's like you're just going to each different studio across, you know, which one do I want to do today? What do I want to eat today? Basically. That's exactly you know? what it's like. Yeah. Different variations of a similar genre. And will it work? I don't know. I don't know either. I'm not so sure if it's going to work. I think fitness is yeah. always reinventing. It's trying to reinvent itself and wellness. And right now it's just so it's becoming very celebrity driven and <clears throat> and different brands and it's it's very interesting time to be in the business and I often kind of sit back and just look at things and you know I have my own little niche but I think you know part of that article I contributed to is kind of the virtual fitness space mm -hmm. is becoming mm -hmm. a very large thing it is I mean thanks to startups like Peloton and Tonal and Mirror I, people now, I don't know what the sales are for each of those, though Peloton right. just had its IPO. I think people do see the ease of just rolling out of bed and walking downstairs and getting your workout <laughs> on or, you know, working out the virtual trainer like yourself. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know what that's doing for us as a collective in terms of creating bonds and creating a network and having your workout be an extension of your social life. Right. I, I don't know what that's doing to us. I think that's something we'll have to see. I think it is something we'll have to see, but I think it kind of, it somewhat parallels social media use. I'll, I'll explain in a sense that I've read many articles, even from the creators of these large social media entities, that they're seeing that people are actually becoming exhausted with these large, for, large forum, large expressions of behavior systems that are out there and that mm -hmm. they believe the next thing or people are going to retreat into these smaller sub groups of um, communication um, and that people are, are starting to say, you know what, I really want to just spend time with people I really care about, not the people that are out there in the cyberspace world. Like, maybe I do want to spend more time. Maybe I need, need to be more selective. I'm kind of getting tired of just the pressure of putting stuff out there to all these people mm -hmm. instead of just being, I'm going to put stuff out there to people I go to dinner with, actually, or I spend time with, you know, in person. And they I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see that coming. I actually have had a few people come on the podcast say, and I'm not sure I believe this, but they say they think we're coming to the end at some point here pretty soon. And I said, hmm, I don't know about that, but I, it's an interesting, everybody I talked to is pretty exhausted <laughs> about it. Right. Um, I don't think I don't we're know. coming to an end of social happening. media. Yeah. Right. But things are going to change. Yeah. Absolutely. They always do. 10 years from now. I don't, I don't know what it looks like, but it's not going to be Twitter and Facebook as we know it today. No, no, I not think at all. It'll be much more audio driven, which is if you're in the podcast space, I mm -hmm. think that's a really smart move. Um, I, yeah, I think it'll be more audio. I think written communications will still need writers, but it will be more spoken word. Yeah, I, I think you're right, <clears throat> and it's something I have I've really noticed as I think people don't, they want to get to know people more than just a certain number of characters in a space that, that you can put online. I say, what mm -hmm. is this person really about? And that's like when I, I like to get to know people, and so I'm like, oh, I contributed to this thing, and Stephanie, I'm like, how do I get to know Stephanie better? Well, if I have her on my podcast, we'll have an extended period of time to talk and I'll get to find out all these things that would take me so long to know about you in oh, a different format. 100%. I mean, you don't have, you have conversations on LinkedIn, you have conversations on Twitter, but there's not this rich context that you can explore. It's much more surface or it's much more about networking which it's hard to network in meaningful ways. It's hard to yes. network and get to know someone without it seeing, seeming purely transactional. <laughs> you said exactly what I think my previous person said, literally word for word, that exact statement. Right. I, I mean, networking is, and I've tried to do research on the best way to do it, but oh, it can really feel icky. <laughs> do you know? what I mean, like both of Explain. you are trying, both of it. I met my husband before, uh, Tinder was like <laughs> blowing up. So I don't have experience on this, but from what I've heard, 
you enter the Tinder world or the dating app world with this transactional sense of mm. I'm putting this out there, you're putting that out there. Uh, we both know what we want. Well, in some cases, both people are on the same page. That's another story. Assuming yeah. both people are on the same page, we both know <laughs> what we want, yeah. whether that's a long-term relationship or something else. And here we go. And that's fine for dating if, again, you're both on the same page, but networking is different where you could be asking someone for a favor that you barely know, you know, what are you offering? What value is that? Why should the other person listen to you? It's very hard to ask for something in a way that doesn't just seem parasitic. Mm. Ooh, what a word, parasitic. (laughs) (laughs) You're a writer, I tell you. That's, I think that's, it might be dramatic, but that is what it is, isn't it? If you're just asking someone to do something for you and you don't really know them. Well, what and, is networking? I mean, I, you know, I think if you ask somebody, well, what is it? They'd probably have some different definitions for it. You know? Yeah, I, I'm sure the ideal of networking is a symbiotic relationship where I scratch your back, you scratch mine, we both help each other out. And I think that can be the case, but I think the way that people often try to reach out on LinkedIn or DMs is not with that thought behind it. And it just comes off as very one-sided. So you're saying you think that the people are connecting in a one-sided way and more of like, hey, I need this, give this to me or help me with this versus the more, hey, let's work together to help each other out? Exactly. Exactly. And are people trying to just say, I deserve this, give this to me? No, I give people more credit than that. It's just the way that it comes off. Yeah, I think it's very difficult. Actually, I, in being on LinkedIn for 12 years, it was very difficult for me in the beginning to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. And I just struggled with it. I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing here. And, uh, and then probably five years ago, I developed my strategy to, um, to really network and to create really meaningful relationships. So for networking for me is creating meaningful relationships that often have nothing to do with business or a return on investment that is um, tangible, financial or anything like that. Um, Because I wanted to take that pressure off of it and for myself and for other people. So, you know, my strategy has been, I see something, I see a profile or anything that I like I connect with the person for them to, you know, become a connection of mine and then try to create just a very nice conversation, you know, try to be nice. How you doing? I hope you're, hope you're having a great day. How can I, let me know if I can assist you socially, emotionally. What, I know it sounds weird because people are like, I don't know this guy. Why is he trying to help me? You know, but then you got to go through a bunch of people to get people who are actually like, well, what is that about? And then over the course of time, you start creating these really meaningful relationships. And then I personally started, when I would talk to people on the phone, then I would refer them to like 10 other people that I knew that were just Mm -hmm. wonderful people. And I'm like, the purpose of this is not to talk to them about your business. The purpose of this is to just know 10 other people who are amazing people and just get to know them for that. But I think the difference there is that you put in the time. Yes. And I think many... Other people that are trying to networking network are rushing. And mm. that's, I think, where the disconnect comes in of, I don't know you. We've never had a conversation. 
I mean, now that we've spoken, if you asked me for a connection or asked me for a favor, it would seem very organic. I'd mm-hmm. say, oh, I know Dr. Darian. He yeah. wants a favor. It would make me feel great to be able to help him. Right. But if we had never spoken before, I'd be, I'd be a little off. But <laughs> what's going on? I mean, Who's I guess. Weirdo? I, yeah. I mean, like, right. You know, and, and I think that happens all the time every day. And it comes off as disingenuous. I agree, which is why my focus has always been trying to get to the phone call with people. If I can get somebody to speak on the phone with me, not about my business, just to chat and get to know each other, it's it's like disarming a bomb. And I'm disarming people and say, hey, listen, I'm not a I'm not like a bot online. I am a real person and I want to have a significant conversation with you. And it's it's almost like networking is like dating. Like what used to be dating for me. I've been married 15 years coming up here. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're really spending the time getting to know a person. And I think you're right. It's, do you want to spend the time? Do you want to have a phone call? Do you want to take a chance and see what this person's about? And for me, it's always, if I can have these conversations and now with podcasting is people will remember me. They'll go, you know what? I have an opportunity somebody actually talked to me you know people like to do business with people that they feel comfortable around they like and they go you know what this person they made me feel a a certain way when i talk to them and i trust them and building trust is a big part of networking but i agree with you it's the time element that people struggle with time and people don't have time i mean i think people do have time (laughs) but people make time for what they want to make time for yes what's their priority right and i think um, that's not an area of investing in new social connections where this person may or may not help you. There's no guarantee and there shouldn't have to be of just getting to know someone purely because we're both on this planet and we work in the same industry. That <laughs> doesn't happen a lot. So I give you a lot of credit. <laughs> Thanks. I, but it's a, you know, it's a one, it's a slow process. I think if like, a lot of media that I've noticed sometimes, and maybe this is what people are doing, you know, they're putting out purposely uh, controversial media to create a stir. And even if it's negative, it, they're getting publicity, they're getting attention from right. it. Right. And I don't like that. Like, I'd rather not get the attention that way. I'd rather take my time one by one. I'm speaking with you today. I'll speak with another person another time. And we're just over time and building this very meaningful network of people. Yeah. But but then again, again, it, people feel like, hey, I don't have time. If their kids throwing a tantrum in the bathroom, throwing, <laughs> they're like, I can't deal with this network. I'm trying to stay up my head above water. I'm trying to yeah, take it one hour at a time. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not trying to make it to this evening. No. You know, <laughs> trying to make it to dinner. That that is the story of my life right now. Oh yeah, you're going. You're deep in it right now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, but. It's, <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, trying to work and, and having, whether it's family or um, other relationships outside of work, balancing those is always a challenge. Yeah, I, I think right? so. I think so. Which is interesting now that we have now with, with uh, the social media uses, people are giving a lot of time to that, though, even with all of that. Yeah. So it's like making, de- you know, you're making decisions, you're making choices and life. So I'm interested in fitness culture and where that's going and the choices and people are making. Like you said, you may put out some fitness-based stuff and you're not getting a lot of um, feedback about that. Why do you think that is? 
Well, it's not that I'm not getting feedback. I think the niche population of these articles are geared toward probably, I, I hope, pick up something of value and go about their day. But those aren't the topics that unite groups of people to talk in an animated way. Right, Unless right. someone really is excited about um, posture and <laughs> um, Pilates and, and the neutral spine. I don't think those are the topics that incite groups. I think right. topics with a more universal appeal that you can relate to no matter your background, no matter your vocation, just the, uh, that reflect on the experience of being alive today. That's where people come together. Right. It's not, not specific industry-related items. I think that's the struggle, though. It's like you want to put out something really amazing, and you think, man, this is going to garner, like, it's going to help a lot of people. It's going to garner the attention that's positive. And it's just such a small segment of what people are doing versus parenting, which is like a universal thing for a lot of people is a huge swaying factor for people and because they're feeling it on a regular basis. You know? I think for articles, if you know, going viral is something that someone wants to do or have an article with a lot of clicks, it, it has to be, um, you know, I've heard this quote before and I can't remember off the top of my head, but specific enough to provide value, but universal enough to have broad appeal where mm. you, if you're writing an article about virtual fitness well how can this relate to more people how why should people care about this that's the hard part about writing writing the information about what you know is the easy part bringing yes. making it um, accessible to a lot of people that's where the challenge is what's interesting i think what you said about that is i think it parallels to people's uh physical fitness or their activity you know, fitness is something like you're in the profession, I'm in the profession. It's like natural to us, what we do. Um, but for a large percentage of Americans, it is not what they do on a regular basis. No, it's, um, not. it's woefully underrepresented in terms of meeting guidelines and uh, daily activity. Um, so that's, you know, probably a good portion. Why it's, a lot of people are like, listen, uh, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm parenting today. I'm going to work. Right. You know, um, I, you know, dealing with bosses who are bad or whatever, you know, financial implications for things, you know, it's those universal. I had um, a behavioral finance guy on the other day, and I think that episode in my mind will go do well just because I think it's so it's such a hot button topic for people, mm -hmm. their finances mm -hmm. and financial advisement and retirement and life insurance and all these things that you're thinking about over the course of your life, you know. Right. And I think finance as well as fitness, no one wants to feel bad about themselves after consuming your content. You have to be <laughs> careful about creating something in a way that's providing value, but not shaming anyone. So yes, for example, if I'm writing an article about the top 10 excuses you're making for not getting your workout in, well, is that going to do well? Probably not because who wants to feel bad about the reason they're not working out? It might be a legitimate reason. It might be good for you to skip a workout that day. I don't know. Right. Do you I see a lot of those articles out there? I do think some of those motivational articles do edge the point of motivating to shame. And I think hmm. that's something 
to be careful of is, again, at the end of the day, no one wants to feel bad about themselves. No one is consuming what you create to feel ashamed about what they're doing. How do you think that translates into kind of the wellness diet culture that we're seeing right now? Oh, I just wish everyone would relax. I think it's great. There's this information about superfoods and what you should be doing and nutrition, but I think people get hung up on these details. And again, I think that's part of getting articles to be popular and clickbait culture and fitness culture online. But I just wish everyone would just calm down. Like you're, you're probably doing better than you think you are. Just mm. breathe. Breathe. Come on. <laughs> you don't have to have every superfood in your diet and you don't have to work out twice a day. And like, yeah, you should probably stretch and, you know, take care of yourself and drink a lot of water, but it doesn't have to be this perfectly executed lifestyle that I think if you just read popular articles online, you'd imagine that's what you had to enact for yourself. Funny you mentioned that as I have actually, I think my wife was talking to me about this other day. One of my connections is that we're, we're overcomplicating this whole thing yes. and trying to make it more than what it is. And, uh, I, you know, I agree with that. I think it's, uh, but you're, we're so inundated with so many things. You can look at your phone and all this information pops up and you get in kind of this spiral of why am I not eating this way? And I'm Why am I not shopping at this place and gluten-free yeah. this and whatever, you know? I remember reading an article that the school was replacing its ketchup. They were taking out one ketchup and replacing it with a healthier ketchup with less sugar, which sure, that's great. Ketchup mm -hmm. does have a good amount of sugar, but is ketchup the problem? I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, if that's what we're focusing <laughs> on, I think we're missing a broader picture. Right. The system is the issue, not just the ketchup. The system you know? is the issue. Not yeah. Yes. You know, if you need a quote from today, there you go. The system is the issue. It's the true. Culture. I had a huge conversation about this yesterday, about system problems versus kind of diagnosing these small things, you know. And I said, listen, it's, it's you know, you can change little things here and there. And like it's ketchup, for example, here. But it's a really system issue. Like you have to attack the entire system, make a make a large change to how that system operates, it's like yeah. if you have a computer, you know, and you need to have updates and upgrades so the system runs properly. And if it's not, it crashes. But if mm -hmm. you just, you know, updating one app on your phone, who cares? You know, right. like it's just one exactly. app. That's the catch up is that one app. But what about Everything the whole operating system? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the details. Like you said in York, everything else is just the details. Yeah. For it. Right. But the system is, is the big thing. Until you attack the system, which is hard work to do because it requires a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, then you're just basically dealing with the details all the time. You know? Yeah, and, and people get mired in details, I think. I think so. It's they definitely to get relax and make changes without feeling like you're constantly messing up. Totally agree. So it's interesting you have these points of view and it's you know when i talk to different people you could tell you're a writer just how you're talking the how you look at articles and stuff uh, i'm gonna take a lot out of this i think the listeners will too like how to kind of look at things you know so, yeah i think it's just my background i think 
I think language shapes a lot of our thoughts and realizing what what you're getting from um, whose content you're consuming and, and what it's saying, how the wordage is, how it's making you feel. I think that's all really important. And also to be aware of where you're getting your news. And is this making you feel better? Now, I'm not saying don't consume news. No, we should be informed. I don't want mm-hmm. people to misinterpret this as, oh, she's saying we should ignore <laughs> the news or anything that makes me Just feel ignore. bad. Yeah. No, no, be aware of what's going on. But in terms of the information you're getting about your diet or your exercise, just be critical and be a scientist in terms of how you're analyzing Mm. it and seeing who's writing it. That's awesome. Awesome advice. So you were in the city and now you're in the suburbs. So take me to where you are at in your life currently living in the suburbs. Yes. Oh, I, I, for this point in my life with a child and a large dog, I love it. Uh, I grew up in the suburbs. I'm not a city girl at heart. So that was mm. just a weird aberration in my life of um, living that way. I, I think I'm learning out here that I'm actually getting more done work-wise than when I was in the city, which is totally unexpected. But I think for me, the less frenetic pace and having time to breathe and analyze and, and think having time to think without this looming, ridiculous rent coming towards me that I had to think about every single month. I think that's made a big difference in terms of me being able to be creative and create and and write without expectation. And it's really made a big difference in how I've advanced my career. That's wonderful. That's yeah. awesome. I, I think there's this, at least what I've seen, I, I, Obviously, I wasn't in as big of a city as New York City. I was in Las Vegas, which is a growing big city. Mm-hmm. And we moved up here to Blaine, Washington, right on the border of Canada, in a 5,000-person town, really tiny place. Wow. And there's this almost Hemingway-esque feel to it, this Mark Twain feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this sense of like freedom in your mind to just you know be next to the ocean and see the mountains. And I, I do think it gives you more time to have, have more perspective and, and more creativity in that sense. Yeah. I mean, that look, do I miss the nights out at a restaurant opening or the ability to just take a subway three stops to um, hear a writer talk about the latest book? Of course, of course. It's not that you don't sacrifice by moving out somewhere like this, but I do think it gives you space to to think and breathe and um, not get lost in feeling like you have to be working on the next best thing. And, you know, New York City especially, it's very easy to get caught up in what everyone else is doing and finding the next best thing. And I think the next best thing exists in work, in dating, in your life. It's hard to let that go. And I think mm. being somewhere quieter, it's, um, it's easier. It is for me. I, I, I know it's not for everyone. Some of my friends who are still in the city can't believe I've moved out to the suburbs, but <laughs> it's working for me. They're like, what are you doing? They're like, what are Why? you doing? Why did you leave? Well, the dinner parties, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. And look, they're great. I'm not going to say it's, uh, it's always perfect out here, but um, mm-hmm. overall, it was, it was the right move for me. Yeah. Well, I think for any person, it's what works for you and your family. 
right. is really important. And uh, I'm really thankful you've given me the time to uh, just chat with you, you know? This was so much fun. See, we didn't, there's no planning for this. <laughs> <laughs> What's also funny is I'm so used to running interviews. It is, mm-hmm. um, it's very different for me to be on the other side of it. So thank of you course. for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like you. I am used to being interviewed or having, you know, kind of somebody ask me or whatever. And uh, I, I like it much better being on this side of the equation. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. Right, right. You're like kind of control the narrative, you know, where you're going with everything, you know. Yes, yes. Um, yes, but no, this was a wonderful experience. I'm glad I've had the opportunity. So thank you, Darian. Well, thank you for your time, Stephanie. And I'm sure uh, people will get a lot out of this and they're going to learn a lot about you now. So. <laughs> for better or for worse. Yes, <laughs> for better or for worse. I think for better. <laughs> is what we're going with here, okay? All right, let's go with that. Let's go. With All that. right, thank you for your time. Thank you. All Bye right, now. bye.